How's everybody doing? Okay, here's, here's what we see from up here. We see a group of people that are kind of tired. I mean, I'm just telling you what we're seeing up here. I, I, Neil said something as he was walking off. He said, yeah. And what that meant was, you're a little tired. So what I want you to do is I want you to just kind of sit back, relax a little bit, um, just for a moment. Because after you relax for just a moment, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible and I'm going to ask you to engage in what God has to share with you. Guys, this moment is something that happens every week, but it's also something that we can get very, very accustomed to in such a way that we forget the holiness of this moment. This is where God, by His Spirit, speaks to our hearts through His Word in a corporate setting. This is following in the tradition of the church from the very beginning of the church. People gathered to hear God's Word preached, to allow the Spirit of God to apply it to our lives so that our lives would be changed, so that we would be strengthened, so that we would be empowered to live for God's pleasure and glory. So, so just relax for right now. Let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, uh, if, uh, we, we want to encourage you to give your offering, but do it at the door. Uh, you go ahead and put your offering in the offering boxes. If you're a guest of ours, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I, I've been ready to preach this message for a while now. And so if you are a guest, I just want you to know that I forgot that we did not have eight o'clock service today. And I'm looking at my wife because she knows what time I got up. Yeah, I got up, came up here, and got up here, and I realized we're not having 8 o'clock service. So I've been ready to preach this thing. In fact, y'all might get two sermons in one, which means probably... Y'all need to figure out how to tap your toes or something to just stay awake because uh, I didn't get to preach last week either, and now I only get to preach twice today. It's just like driving me a little bit insane. Um, I'm very excited about <laughs> this new sermon series that we begin today called A New Attitude. Uh, I think it's very timely. Last, uh, at the end of last year, I had a different series planned for January um, but toward the end of last year, uh, as, as I was watching and listening, uh, not primarily to this family of faith, but, but just believers uh, all around the world uh, or all around the nation uh, talking about things in a way that, that I'm not sure is exactly how Jesus would think about those things. It's where we decide that we're, we have a position or an attitude or a perspective about certain things that are happening in our culture or in our nation or on the landscape of the world. And we have a particular perspective about those things. And we feel justified in those perspectives. But I'm not sure that we're really reflecting the attitude of Jesus. And as I was really just struggling through that, praying through that, uh, God led me uh, to, to take on this, this 
series where we unpack how Jesus views life and how Jesus views our life and how Jesus views our culture and really how we're supposed to have a particular attitude that begins with the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, and if you're here today, I'm kind of thinking that you do call yourself that, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then we must have the attitude of Jesus. We must have his perspective. We must think about our life and about our world and about our relationships based upon how he would think about our life and our world and our relationships. And over the next several weeks, we're going to evaluate what does Jesus think about these things and how are we supposed to think about these things. And it really begins with this uh, Philippians 2 passage. Philippians 2 is a powerful passage that leads us on a journey to have the mind of Christ or the attitude of Jesus Christ. Uh, When we look at the life that we're supposed to live, we're supposed to live our life based upon how Jesus instructs us and how Jesus would live it. As followers of Christ, it's it's not just following a set of codes uh, or of conduct, but rather it is allowing Jesus to live through us. And that should give us a new attitude about our life and about our relationships. In Philippians chapter 2, the centerpiece of the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11, but the centerpiece of this passage is verse 5. And and it's a familiar verse to most of us, perhaps, in the room. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, this is the centerpiece of verses 1 through 11, which is really an exhortation or a call from Paul to us or from God to us to live worthy of the gospel as the people of God. And if we're going to live worthy of the gospel as the people of God, we need to have the mind of Christ. Now, in verses 1 through 4, we see that the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ is revealed in our relationships. And don't you know this to be true in your own relationships, that your attitude really comes through, shining through in your relationships. If I go to work and I have a tough day at work and I come home and I'm kind of down on life and dreary and doom and gloom, then that's going to show in my relationships. I'm going to be uh, a little down and out with Edie and the girls. I'm going to be uh, probably a little bit sour. Uh, Monday mornings, Edie will call Patty Center, my assistant, if I've had a particularly sour morning. Uh, Mondays are my rough mo- Mondays are my rough day. It just y'all need to know that Mondays are a rough day for me. Just tired. I won't be as tired tomorrow because I only got to preach twice. But uh, uh, but Mondays are rough. And if it's been a particularly rough morning, Edie will call Patty and she'll say, "You just need to know, it's not good today." And 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 that shouldn't be, but it is right in our relationships. Our attitude influences how we relate to other people. And Paul hits on that. Uh, he, he begins, 
in verse 1, he says, if there is any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, what he's saying in these first two verses is, there should be the comfort of Christ, the consolation of Christ. That, that's a picture of Jesus and his rescuing love entering into our world and changing the way we live and think and relate to other people. Because of what Jesus has done for you, and maybe you ought to sit and think about that, uh, that'll change your attitude. If you just focus in on what Jesus has done for you, based upon that, we ought to have a different kind of attitude that really influences our relationships together. Not only that, he says, not just the consolation of Christ, but also the comfort of love. This love of God that, that was poured out toward us at, on Calvary's cross as Jesus died in our place uh, 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 to, to bring us rescue and new life, that, that wondrous love that not only was poured out then in that moment when we received God's grace, but continues to be poured out into our life. This love that is continually producing in us the comfort that we need, but also should flow through us toward others and be a comfort to them. Can I ask you a question? Are you a comfort to the people around you? Uh, when they think about you, They're just the person next to you sitting on the pew. Most of y'all sit in the same seat every week. The, the person sitting next to you, do they think of you, oh, they're such a comfort to me? Well, th we should be that way toward each other. Why? Because the persuasion of God's love in our life should lead us to be loving toward others. On top of that, we have this fellowship of the Spirit. That's where the Spirit of God unites our hearts together. Listen, and I want you to hear this. This is key principle for church. Two individuals led by the same Spirit, yielded, by the, yielded to the same Spirit, will walk in agreement always. Two individuals, five individuals, 20 individuals, 200 individuals, or 2,000 individuals, if we are walking, yielded to the Spirit of God together, then we will walk together. Doesn't mean we'll agree on everything. It just means that we will walk together. Why? Because the Spirit of God knits our hearts together as family. And friends, First Baptist Church, if we're not anything else, we are this. We are family. And so God leads us to this kind of fellowship. And, and when we per perceive each other as family, as a family of friends rather than as a, 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 a bunch of foes, then we're, we're really walking in the fellowship that the Spirit creates. And not only fellowship of the Spirit, but there's also affection and mercy or God's compassion and mercy for us. This is a beautiful picture of how God is still at work in our lives, pouring out his affection, his compassion toward us and producing mercy for us. And boy, don't we need mercy. 
Anytime I see the term mercy, it really awakens me to my own sinfulness. And, and honestly, it probably should you as well. See, mercy is a positive thing covering a negative thing. Mercy is God's response to our unfaithfulness. Mercy is a product of his love and his grace. And guys, if we saw ourselves more clearly and saw the affection, the compassion, and the mercy that God has given us, then we would be more likely to extend that same kind of affection and mercy toward each other. And that's why Paul says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same goal, having the same purpose, having the same mind, working together, moving together. And it all begins with our attitude. How do we get to that place? It seems utopian. I've been in church life all my life, as many of you have as well. And it doesn't always feel like we're walking with the same mind and the same spirit and same direction, right? But it should be and it can be if our attitude is shaped by the mind of Christ. That's why Paul says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So as we, as we look at these different qualities of the mind of Christ and how Christ thought, it, it, it helps us see how that the Spirit of God is going to shape our heart and our mind so that we have a new attitude, especially in 2016, all right? So as, as we see the mind of Christ giving us a new attitude about our life and about relationships, the first thing that we need to evaluate is uh, what Paul is talking about when he says in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. What's Paul talking about there? Well, he's saying if we're going to have the mind of Christ, then we need to get rid of selfish thinking and living. I, I know that you're, right now you're thinking of loopholes. But the truth is there are no loopholes. Paul said in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Uh, and really the whole theme of what he's talking about here is the mind of Christ is a mind of humility, of surrender, of commitment to God above commitment to self, of commitment to others above commitment to self. Let nothing, nothing, zero, not be done through selfish ambition. Now, selfish ambition is where we want it our way. Uh, we, we want to butt in to the front of the line because, after all, we deserve it. And even though there are 50 people waiting in line, you want to jump all those 50 people and get at the head of the line because, after all, that's who you are. You deserve that. Or it's sitting in a room like this and thinking, well, I want things my way. But see, that's not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ never asks first, 
how does this affect me? The mind of Christ always asks first, how does this affect God, his glory, his purpose, and his kingdom? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit is where we're just thinking so highly of ourselves that we talk about ourselves all the time. We brag about ourselves and brag about ourselves. That doesn't count grandparents. That would be the only uh, loophole. Grandparents can brag on their grandchildren. That is the universal loophole. I don't find it in Scripture, but I think I probably could. (laughs) Conceit is where you're so consumed with you, yourself, your stuff, your ideas, your perspective, your wants, your desires... That you just live in that selfish mode. Now, you might think to yourself, I'm not selfish. It's not for me to say if you're selfish or not. But the Spirit of God certainly, certainly will reveal to you your selfishness. We all have a selfish streak in us. All of us have this selfish ambition that arises to uh, the surface in our soul. But if we're going to have an attitude that presses forward and reflects the mind of Christ, then then we're going to get rid of selfish thinking and living. Because make no mistake, that's exactly what Jesus did. Hey, y'all, here, right here, just for a second. Do you realize that Jesus gave up his hold on heaven? so that he might give us heaven. And you won't give up a parking spot out there for a guest. I mean, I'm just, again, I'm not trying to call out your selfishness. I just want you to be aware that it comes alive in us and nobody is entitled to selfishness. No age group. No status, no personality. If we had the mind of Christ. You look at verses 6 and 7. What did Jesus do? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not uh, consider it robbery to be equal with God, yet he he gave it all up and uh, took the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of a man. You realize what Jesus did? Jesus took off the royal robes of heaven so that he might serve sinners unlovely to the holiness and majesty of God. Jesus did not have selfishness in his soul because selfishness would mean I'm sticking in heaven and let them go to hell. And we need to realize, and, and th- this applies in our home as well, and maybe a little bit more challenging in our home. In, in our home, um, there is a tendency, I don't do this, I don't do this, but I've heard it done. 
and sit in, sit in a chair. Don't, this isn't me. This is somebody else. Sitting in an easy chair and, 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 and having a, a glass of, of ice water and you drink it and, and there's no more ice water. And, and so you shake it real loud so that somebody else in your house understands that you're out of water. And you're sitting on your throne and you're shaking that glass and you expect them to come to your beck and call and get that glass of water, the ice, and go fill it up with ice again because after all, you're sitting on your throne. You're the king of your domain. No, you're being selfish and filled with conceit. See, the mind of Christ says that we've got to get rid of selfishness in our thinking and in our living. You can't be a narcissist and be a faithful follower of Christ. It, it doesn't work that way. You can't come into a room and expect everyone to serve you. That, that's not the mind of Christ. Selfishness is a black mark on the church. And it's a black mark on followers of Jesus. And if we're going to have an attitude that's pleasing to God and sets a trajectory for us to experience joy in life, then we need to get rid of selfishness in our thinking and our living. The second thing we see, which is, again, related to the first, is that we need to consider serving others more important than serving self. Now, just think, let that sink in. We need to consider, determine, make a, a commitment in our own heart that serving others is of greater importance than me serving myself. The, the idea that Paul raises here, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others more significant than himself. Again, this, this destroys any entitlements that we think we are owed. Well, you owe me this, or you owe me that. That's not the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ sees first and foremost, how can I serve you? Not how well are you serving me. To esteem others more significant than oneself means that we look to their needs before we look to our own needs. We, we look to uh, what's going on in their world and how we can bless them before we look at what we want. And, and again, this is something that we as a church, it, it, it should be the culture of our church, but, but if it's the culture of our church, it's countercultural to everything else we encounter. Because everything else we encounter is all about me, serving me, take care of me what's in it for me. But Jesus didn't have that attitude. Jesus came as a bondservant and, and took the appearance as a man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Do you see what Jesus did? Jesus said, I'm not going to come and and, and uh, parade my prerogative as the creator of the universe. I'm going to come. I'm not going to expect people to serve me, but I'm going to come and I'm going to serve them. Jesus said it. We're going to talk about this in a couple of weeks. Mark 10, 45. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus has come to serve sinners and saints alike. Jesus came to serve. And from his birth to his death, he gave himself in humble obedience to God and in service to sinners like you and me. What greater service is there than for one to lay down his life for whom he calls his friends? And Jesus came to serve, and we sit in our seat, and we wonder why it is that people aren't doing things the way we want them to do them for us to make me happy. Why, 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 why aren't people paying more attention to what's going to make me happy? Guys, listen. I really do count you as a mature body of believers. Now, I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. And I count you as spiritually mature people, at least in information. You know, Information gives us a responsibility to apply what we've learned. And you and I have learned sufficiently the heart and the mind of Jesus Christ where we need to stop this, this competition for getting our way. And we need to give ourselves the way Jesus gave himself, esteeming others, serving others more important than serving self is that your perspective when you gather here is that perspective when you go to work is that your perspective when you are at home is is your perspective i need to figure out how i can serve them rather than trying to figure out how you can get us to serve you you see there's a different attitude but it's the attitude of christ so we need to consider serving others more important than serving self. And the last thing we see in this passage is we need to trust God to take care of the humble. It, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing when God takes care of sinners. It really is. And, and I'm a sinner and he's taking care of me. I've talked about the mercy thing and the compassion. I, I mean, uh, he, I'm just an old chunk of coal now, Lord, but I'm going to be a diamond someday. You know, I, I like that song. It's nice and it's true. Uh, and that is God's grace and that is his mercy and that's God taking care of me. But the Bible is very clear that God resists the proud people, but God gives grace to the humble. The Bible is very clear that when we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will exalt us in due time. The Bible is very clear that if we have the attitude of Jesus, we're going to trust him to take care of us. 
rather than us trying to take responsibility for taking care of us. See, what happens, and and invariably when we start hearing this idea that I'm supposed to take care of others' needs before I take care of my own, I'm supposed to look out for others' interests, not merely my own, I'm supposed to consider serving others more important than serving self. When when we hear those type things, uh, get rid of selfish behavior, then we start crying out, but what about me? Who's going to take care of me? I'm going to be left out here. I'm just going to be giving myself and giving myself and nobody's going to take care of me. And I would say, look at the mind of Christ. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. But then God steps in. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every other name. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue should confess. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do do you see in verses 9 through 11 how how God steps in and how Jesus, when he said to the Father as he was hanging on the cross, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He was saying, God, I'm trusting you to take care of the rest. I've abandoned myself completely in service to others for your glory. And now, Father, I am trusting you to take care of the rest. Are you trusting in God's sovereignty? Are you trusting in his purpose? Are you trusting in him? Do you trust God more than you trust yourself? Look, I know it's hard to put your trust in the hands of God. I know it's hard, especially when you view yourself as so self-sufficient. You know, we, we have this malady of independent spirit. We have this disease of, of, of not being dependent upon anyone else. So we have this idea that, that I'm smart enough and I'm, 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 I'm wise enough and I can handle this thing. I, I can take care of myself. But the minute we start trying to take care of ourselves, we violate the first two characteristics of the mind of Christ. And by the way, I can't take care of me better than God can take care of me. So we've got to trust God to take care of us. And we've been in church long enough. I don't mean this morning. I still have another 45 minutes to preach. But um, all, all, most of us, we've been in church long enough. We, we know that, that churches relationships in churches get like this don't we haven't you seen it haven't you seen relationships get out of whack people get bitter toward other people get mad and you start having people talking about other people and saying ugly things about other people and thinking ugly thoughts about other people haven't you seen it and maybe you participated in it can, can, can I Can I just suggest that whenever that happens and if you're a party of it, you're not reflecting anything of Jesus. You're reflecting a lot of yourself. If I do it, I'm not reflecting anything of Jesus. But I am reflecting a lot of myself. It's where we decide 
that we can do better than God with our life or with the church. And that just can't be. Today, I just want to encourage you to embrace the mind of Christ. For when we humble ourselves before God and with one another, the end result is that God himself will take care of us. And he will provide for us and he will encourage us and he will surround us with his strength and his love, his affection and his mercy. So trust God to take care of the humble. When it's all said and done, this is a journey, not a destination. You know, having the mind of Christ is not something that we automatically arrive at. This sermon doesn't, this talk, it's not going to say, oh, well, boy, those are revolutionary truths and now my whole world has changed. I'm all better now. No, it's, it's a journey. And, and none of us have arrived. But the question that we need to ask is are we really on the journey pursuing the mind of Christ? And if we're not, doesn't that mean we ought to repent of our sin? Shouldn't that lead us to confession of our unfaithfulness to God? I pray that you join me on this journey and that you help me. You know, here's a beautiful thing. Because we are family together, you can help me have the mind of Christ. If you perceive that I'm walking in selfishness in my thinking or living, talk to me about it. If you believe that I'm trying to serve myself rather than serve others, talk to me about it. If I'm not displaying trust in God, then talk to me about it. That's what church does. That's what families are for. And together... As we pursue the mind of Christ, we will have unfettered joy as First Baptist Church Norfolk. And we will more faithfully serve Hampton Roads to change the world. Let's pray together. Father, right now, I just thank you for your word and the power of it. I pray that we would set our focus even now on Jesus that our hearts and our minds would be focused on the one you sent to rescue us. That we would evaluate how we are thinking and living, not based upon other people around us, but based upon how Jesus thought and how Jesus lived. I pray that 
we would be a people preeminently concerned more with serving others than serving ourselves. And that that service would be a reflection of what Jesus did. Not just serving followers of Jesus. Not just serving one another in the church. But like Jesus serving those who don't know him. Serving those who are separated from God by sin. So Father, we know, I know, you got a lot of work to do with me. But today, will you start that work in me and in us? And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.